And welcome back to the West of Everest podcast. I am Lee Benson. Joining me as always is Grant Benson. And we are here to talk OU football in the middle of February. Coming up on the show today, ESPN's Bill Connolly released his winter SP Plus projections this past week. We'll talk about where the Sooners stack up compared to the rest of the SEC. A trio of OU offensive linemen will be at the NFL Scouting Combine later this month. But the invite list did not include one popular Sooner. Was that a mistake? And hey, how about this? We got official confirmation that the new NCAA football video game will indeed come out later this year, which is great news. But I have a problem with the announcement, and I'll see if all of you are with me. And if we have time, maybe a little Super Bowl talk and, well, I guess we kind of shrug our shoulders as the OU men's basketball team continues to disappoint. So with that, I'll say hi to Grant for the first time today. Hello, Grant. Hello, Lee. Thank you for welcoming me on this podcast that we've both been doing for seven years and have over 300 episodes. Yeah, yeah, we're done a lot, done a lot of stuff here, and uh, every show is better than the last. Uh, Yeah, obviously, it is known. I'll I'll give a little bit of a thank you to our friend Brady Trantham. I. I'm guessing he must have enjoyed the last podcast because he he tweeted about it or X'd about it, posted about it. I listened back to it and I enjoyed it. I hope that was informational for a lot of people. I don't know. Maybe maybe it was dumb. Maybe everyone knew all that and it was it was a really bad podcast. But at least for me, I, I enjoyed it. So hopefully at least somebody out there got something from the, our last show talking about NIL. I don't know. Yeah, hopefully it's kind of just like the final coda in this uh just in this chapter of the off season uh, we were kind of the last to go talking about all the NIL stuff and uh yeah hopefully it was comprehensive for everybody i uh i thought it was a pretty good show i kind of I, I i was sort of cooking there for a little bit getting into my feels with all of that stuff again but uh you know it's college football if we didn't have that then it would not be worth following so today's show i think the the biggest news really to talk about. I know it's something that you buy into a lot more than I do, but it's certainly something that I'm, I'm interested in is the SP plus ratings. And this time of year, when there's not much going on and it's looking ahead to the next season and we get a little bit of data to kind of see, okay, where is Oklahoma compared to the rest of the SEC in college football? Sure. It's worth talking about because again, it's February when we get closer to the season, I don't care as much about this kind of stuff. I just want to see the games be be played. But uh, the winter SP Plus projections came out by Bill Connolly. And I'll be honest, Grant, aside from one through whatever and understanding that, okay, number one's the best. And if you go down to the bottom of the list, that's the worst. I don't know how to read these these rankings. I have no idea what any of these numbers mean. Like I don't know how he comes up with his offense and defense. I, I have no idea what it means. I just know that Oklahoma – is ranked 14th in Bill Connolly's winter SP plus projections, whatever that means. Do you know how to read this stuff? (laughs) Well, I mean, like, I don't know the exact math and everything, but there's essentially, like, when you look at the rating, so, like, OU's SP plus rating is 18.9. How Bill Connolly would describe that, he would say that means OU is 18.9 points better than the average college football team. If you go all the way up to Georgia, they're 34 and a half points better than the average college football team. 34. So, like, one, like, first of all, you can look at these, and, and I've been saying this now for the last handful of years because I've been, I've been following the SP Plus rankings ever since we started this podcast. I think they're really helpful. 
But as we've gone on throughout the years, I've really started to notice that Vegas has started to align with SP Plus almost exclusively. You can look at the lines and everything, and, and, and a lot of the time there's just not a whole lot of variation between what Vegas has and what Bill Connolly has now. And so you're looking at these and OU being at number 14, which, you know, is, is not bad. That's pretty good. That's a top 15 team in the country. And um, if they were still in the Big 12, they would be the favorite in the Big 12 based off of these numbers. But they, they are not. But you can look at these numbers and you can see why they're over-under opened at 7.5. Like, th- this is, it's, it's very clear why this is the case because, what is it, they, they play five teams that are ahead of them in the rankings? Or is it six? I believe it's five. And so OU's 14th in this ranking, but there's seven SEC teams ahead of Oklahoma and I believe the math I think they play five of those seven teams that are ranked ahead and I mean we can look at it right now but yeah it's five because uh, they OU does not play A&M they do not play Georgia but they do play Texas Bama Ole Miss LSU and Missouri and so you're right I mean in theory based on rankings I mean that's five losses right I mean that's it, it might very well may be five losses but that's kind of way you look at it, and then boom, they're, they're seven and five right there for you for OU, right? I think yeah. I, I think yeah. When you look at when you look at the SP Plus stuff, and they also play they play six teams. Half of their schedule are against teams in the top the the top fifteen of the rankings because Tennessee is number fifteen. Okay. And so when yeah. Vegas when Vegas looks at that, they think okay, give give OU those six wins against teams outside of the top fifteen, and then I don't know they would need to go two and you know two and four in those other games to get to against teams that are basically the numbers say are better than them. And then one team that the numbers say they're, they're a half point better than, and that's that logic works out. The, the best part about this is that, you know, this is, you know, the games aren't being played here. This is the computers and um, this SP plus projection. They particularly loved OU going into Brent Venables first season. I believe they were in the top five of SP plus in the preseason going into that year. And you know, and, and OU wasn't like OU was a top fifteen team that year per SP plus. We're just terrible in one score games and, and and everything like that. And then and then really OU was a was a top ten, top twelve ish SP plus team pretty much all year last year too, until the last like few games kind of knocked them out. The TCU game and the Arizona game knocked them down quite a bit. Um, and so. I don't know. It's it's definitely something to look at and and think is interesting. Like I'm I'm more interested in kind of going through the teams that are ahead of OU and sort of because it's pretty easy for me to 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 pick apart teams that are ahead of OU that make where it's like hey I you know OU's got some things they have to sort out. Obviously, new quarterback, almost a brand new offensive line, um, but also at the same time, it's like it's. It's not super difficult for me to imagine OU being better next year than than Notre Dame, for, you know, for, for argument's sakes. And Notre Dame is at nine right now. Uh, Notre Dame going to be uh, the big thing with them is they got Riley Leonard coming in, and you think, oh, they just lost their quarterback. Okay, well, they have Riley Leonard coming in, who I think has has he played a full season in college? I feel like he's always injured. I think he but, may have, yeah, one of his years at Duke, he may have gotten all the way, like, as when he was. Okay, so maybe it's just the last year I'm thinking of. <laughs> maybe it's just the last season I'm thinking of. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it, and I certainly can see a scenario where Oklahoma's better than Penn State, who's at number seven. And I, everyone knows my feelings on Penn State. I 
granted, I am very curious to see what Penn State does next year with its new offensive coordinator, the, the Kansas offensive coordinator coming in, and, and seeing how that works out in Happy Valley with Drew Aller, even though I'm not sure if he's really a guy that can run that offense. And uh, Penn State's offense last year was so ridiculously average, even though it's always the analytics have it super high. I don't. It's it's dumb. It shouldn't be. It's not a very good offense. But they put up a lot of points somehow. Uh, but when you actually watch Penn State play last season, it's like this offense is not that good. It just isn't. Uh, these teams are playing are bad. These are bad, bad football teams are playing that can't score. And so, anyways, that's I, that's, I would. Yeah, yeah and there's anyway, there, there's just like and and I agree with you with Penn State, but really outside of um, like I mean, Georgia is number one, and they're they're number one by four and a half points over Ohio State, and per and SP plus relative to that, that's a pretty big gap between number one and number two. I I view Georgia this upcoming season in the same way that I viewed them a couple of years ago going to the season. The clear, obvious favorite, and if you do not pick them to win the national championship, you are trying way too hard to be different. Like that's kind of how I view Georgia coming into this year. It's everyone's basically playing for second place next year. Yeah, and and they come in now with a chip on their their shoulders after missing the playoff last season, which they should have missed the playoff, considering how everything played out. They should have missed it. Uh, it's on them for not beating that Alabama team who was not anywhere near as good as them, but yet in a one-game one setting, they got beat by them. And so now they're going to come in after having lost a game and missing the playoff. They're going to have even more motivation than they've had the last couple of years. So yeah, Georgia will be a scary team. Then throw Alabama in there. I mean, Alabama with uh, all of its changes, still going to have a great roster, but Alabama's at number six. There, there's certainly a situation or a chance where Alabama is a team that, I mean, underperforms given its expectations ever since Nick Saban has been, you know, the, the, the best coach in college football. Yeah, I and so like, outside of Georgia, right, I can kind of go down this list and I can I can pretty in my mind, just based off of preconceived notions in the offseason going into next year, I, I, I can kind of pick some of these teams apart and tell you why maybe something won't really work out. And, you know, Ohio State, in my mind, they're they're probably the clear number two in the preseason going into next year as well, just because they were so good on defense a year ago. They returned pretty much their entire defense plus Caleb Downs from from Alabama. And they've clearly made some sort of effort on the offensive side of the ball. That was kind of the weird thing about Ohio State last year. Their offense was not good. Um, they're they're here, they're 20th on offense in the in the, the the preseason projections. And last year I think they were they were hovering in the high twenties, low thirties on offense of last year, which is not Ohio State like. And so I, I'm very, very curious to see how Will Howard looks in that offense. They, of course, are going to have two fantastic running backs with Travion Henderson and Quinshawn Judkins. Um, but they also, their offensive line last year, struggled. They, didn't, they struggled to kind of run the ball explosively. Uh, they were, from a success rate standpoint, they were inconsistent. Now they have Chip Kelly coming in as their offensive coordinator, so I'm, 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 I'm very interested to see how that goes. But with Ohio State, you can pretty much count on their defense being really, really great. But also, in a big game... And Ohio State now, the Big Ten is, you know, they're expanding. They have they have the potential to have a really difficult schedule in the Big Ten as well. Is their offense going to perform? Because Will Howard, I think, honestly, is probably just a more athletic version of Kyle McCord. Um, in terms of how they throw the ball, they're probably very similar talent-wise talent in that regard. 
And Marvin Harrison Jr. Ain't, ain't walking through that door again for them. So even though Ohio State does recruit really well there, but I go down to Oregon and I'm, I'm I feel pretty good about Oregon. I, I think Oregon is is going to be really really good next year. They they're the preseason number one on offense per SP plus, and I think that's probably right. That's probably right, uh, just based off of who they were last year, and then Dylan Gabriel being really good. Oregon's interestingly is 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 Texas is number four, and I think this is this is the one that you know numbers are numbers, and you, it's it's hard to argue against numbers, and to, and you know you and I both thought Texas was at times maybe the most complete team in college football last year. Um, there's just something weird with Texas this year. It just it doesn't vibe with me. I, I'm Texas is not going to be better on offense next year than OU is. They're they're not going to be. I mean, it all depends on Jackson Arnold. I mean, if Jackson Arnold's a guy that has first year starter struggles, then Texas will be better than OU. It, it, that's what all this stuff comes down. I mean, it's boring, but it's true. All everything, all this preseason stuff, everything with Oklahoma, literally comes down to the quarterback. It comes down to Jackson Arnold, which. That's college football, but he's an unknown with the arrow pointing up, we think. And will he hit in year one good enough to make Oklahoma a team that exceeds its win total of seven and a half? I tend to think yes, uh, but based off of what? Well, based off of uh, his talent, I think, is there. Uh, it's, it's his, his arm talent's great. I think he's, he's very mobile. He's got a lot of good players around him. And the fact that he has Seth Luttrell coming in here who has a, a long track record as a head coach slash offensive coordinator and him just being an OC, I like, I mean, I like it. Uh, it could be worse. You could be in a worse situation. So, uh, but it, it's all based off of Jackson Arnold. But if Arnold struggles and looks like he did at times against Arizona for large portions of the 2024 season, then Texas is going to have a better offense in Oklahoma. Yeah, and, and you should know, I mean, these rankings are – um, offensive line continuity is huge in these. Um, I know I'm pretty sure when, uh, Bill Connolly, like almost half of his formula for returning production on the offense is offensive line. And that's where tech, they, they return four of their five starters in the offensive line, plus their quarterback. Um, they, you know, I, they, they lose pretty much their four best option. Their, their four best skill players, which I think is huge for them. Like I, um, personally, I thought them going out and getting A.D. Mitchell got them to the college football playoff last season. And, you know, I, that's, I, I think that's going to be a difficult thing to replace. But Texas is interesting. I mean, we'll see them. They, they, have the, they have the recruiting, which is built into this pretty hard, and then now the recent success as well. So, but I just, I, the thing that just, that gives me hope because, you know, seven SEC teams ahead of Oklahoma on the offensive side of the ball, OU's 14th or 19th on defense. Um, OU does have the most experienced defense in the SEC returning next season, um, but I, I'm you know I see I see some of the teams ahead of OU on the offensive side of the ball and and like I'm sorry Texas A&M is just not going to have a better offense than OU next year and neither is Notre Dame that's just not going to happen and so it, it it gives me a little bit of hope where it's just like you know hey I I get it OU a, a lot of new a lot of new receivers or a, a lot of new offensive linemen a new quarterback but. I think OU's quarterback's going to be really good, and I think he's throwing, like I said, to some really, really good receivers. And if Jackson Arnold is him, is the guy that we want him to be, OU is going to stack up really, really well against all of these teams. Period. Yeah. No, I mean, he's got – I think he has so much more upside 
then you go down the like if he is what we think he's going to be uh, what his potential is uh, i mean look at these these teams i mean with i mean obviously georgia's fine i mean they got their guy i mean ohio certainly a lot more upside than will howard at ohio state uh, a lot more upside than dylan gabriel they were just teammates that's this is why Oklahoma can move, can move on from a Dylan Gabriel in a lot of ways, like because of Jackson Arnold. That's that's why Dylan Gabriel's like, yep. And also, I'm sure like Gabriel is going to get a lot of money in the NIL. But like, if Oklahoma had nothing behind Dylan Gabriel, then I would imagine that they would have been like, yes, please, we will take you for an extra year as we try to find another quarterback to come after you. I'd like to think Jackson Arnold has more upside than Quinn Ewers, but still early. I mean, I know I know you're not the biggest Quinn Ewers guy, and I'm. I'm probably more than you are, but yeah, I, I've certainly seen limitations he's, from him. He's a good college player. Like, I, I don't want to go out. I don't want to be like OU biased guy who is like everyone at Texas sucks. Like Quinn, you're a good college player. He's a good college player. He's just he's there's there's clearly something off about him, and we've seen him now as a full time starter for two years, and it's clear that he's a good college player. But there's a, something a little bit off that that is preventing him from getting to that point, and I feel that it's probably processing speed. And and uh, getting the ball out quick enough and seeing things, um, you know, unfold in front of him. And if that is the issue with him, that's not going to get better. It can't. That's a that's just a that's just a thing that is with him. That doesn't mean he's a bad player. Doesn't mean he doesn't have physical upside. Doesn't mean he doesn't throw like a really pretty ball at times. But I think it does prevent him from kind of being that X factor that you need a quarterback at this level to be. And like we even saw like, you know, J.J. McCarthy at Michigan, you know, he had kind of his demerits and like they sometimes didn't even put the game on his shoulders. But when he needed to, he was able to to utilize some other like X factor parts of his game to get a big time first down or make a big play when he needed to. And I don't know if Quinn Ewers has that. He definitely hasn't shown that up to this point yet. So there's yeah, Quinn Ewers. Michigan's at five, so whoever Michigan's gonna have a quarterback, certainly no idea. Arnold's gonna have a lot more be. upside, certainly a lot more upside than a Jalen Milrow at Bama. And I think Michigan State quarterbacks here at number five, Michigan. I mean, they're at five, and like I, I do want to preface it, they just won a national championship, so obviously the bones of that program are still really strong, being left over there from Harbaugh. Man, if you, you just got to go and look. They were the oldest team in college. They were the most experienced team in all of the country last year at every level. They, I mean, they, they lost so many guys. I, Michigan, I'm not going to say they're going to fall off a cliff this year, but if they go 8-4, and four, people should not be surprised. Yeah, and so I wanted to transition into, now you brought up Michigan, because there's a part of this column that Bill Connolly wrote that you know buy and sell teams and... Uh, Michigan's one of the teams where he put under buy, and I, and my, I'm in the same boat as you. I to me, it's like no, no, thank you. I mean, like because Bill Connolly lays out some massive factors on why I don't want to buy Michigan. I mean, new head coach, new quarterback, new offensive line, new linebackers, uh, and like the biggest one of that of those is I think head coach because I think losing Jim Harbaugh is going to be huge, and then quarterback. Uh, I know JJ. McCarthy only lost one game in two years I'm still not sure how good he is because again Michigan didn't really put the game on him a lot but he did perform in third down really well and uh, he he did make a couple plays in that national title game so like but in a way though if Michigan gets similar production out of its defense the same way they've had the last two years it's possible that they can replace a J.J. McCarthy given their style of offense 
which is not asking the quarterback to really do a whole lot. The offensive line part is huge, although it is Michigan, so they'll probably be fine. Uh, but then look at the schedule, and you mentioned like, oh, eight and four. Don't be surprised if Michigan goes eight and four. And even though Michigan's barely lost at all the last two, like just what one loss in the last two seasons, you see on that 2024 schedule, you see Texas, you see a game at Washington, you see Oregon on the schedule. Uh, and then, of course, they, they got Ohio State, and this year it's going to be in Columbus. And so FanDuel's got Michigan's win total at nine and a half, which seems about right. And so, yeah, I mean, eight and four is certainly a possibility. Is 10 and two a possibility? Yeah. It's, you know, like you said, the bones of that program are still really good. But that's definitely a team that I certainly would not be thinking that I should buy on. And I know Connolly is basing his buying Michigan at number five because according to his projections, yeah, he's just going like by they're his higher numbers. up. He's going by yeah, his he's numbers. Yeah, he's going by his numbers. Because I think a lot, like, just people ranking teams right now outside of analytics and stats and numbers are, are not going to have Michigan that high, probably. So, and that I'm one of them. Yeah. And and kind of going down that list, too, another on his buy list is, is Alabama. And that's, you know, that's the same thing. It's just he's going by his numbers. And he, he's going by his numbers compared to, like, the ESPN way too early top 25 little human poll that they put together. And so, I you know... He, is, he's, he had Michigan fifth in his numbers, and they were 13th in that way too early. He's got Alabama at number six in his numbers, and they were ninth in the, in the, the top 25. Um, a, a team I think is interesting here is, is Florida State. Um, they're a team that, you know, if I have stock in them, I'm selling that stock going into this season. They lost their entire team from this past year, and I, you know, and they were a good team. Like, I, I don't want to say they were a good, like, they weren't a good team, but I still think if that Florida State team went up against Michigan, even with Jordan Travis and everything in that Rose Bowl, they probably would have gotten spanked. I, I just, and, and I'm, I, I really I think they would have. I, I just, that Florida State team just never really impressed me that much. Good team, good team. But they, no, they just, in my mind, awesome at the end of the year. In my mind, they, they just were not amongst the elite of the elite of college football. And now they've lost virtually their entire team. I disagree with you on that. I, I think Florida State at full strength against Michigan would have been a good game. I think they could have beaten Michigan because it, the defense of Florida State was playing so well. And same, same principle that I had. Like uh, Michigan's offense was not that great. And it was a situation where it's like, oh, we got, to, we got to face this offense. Like Texas had issues in the back end that I don't think Florida State did. And Jordan Travis was something different that Michigan had not seen all year. Like that had been by far the best quarterback. Yeah, I don't. Uh, what? No. I mean, at the time, I mean, the best quarterback they saw was Penix, and they shut him down, like, easily. So, I like, Florida State would not have been able to score against Michigan. But, like, Jordan Travis's leg, that, that's why he was so interesting, because he he's a dual-threat guy that can also throw. Penix didn't really have that. So, that, yeah, that, I think that would have been a good game. But back to what you're talking about, though, I'm with you. I mean, how can you be wanting to buy or willing to buy Florida State given what you just said about their team and their quarterback solution is going to be DJ Ugalele, who's been bouncing around ever since he got into the league or into college. I like saying the league. It's, it's, it's a short word. Uh, he's just not a very impressive player. So I, I don't know why you'd be excited about him coming in to try to like save Florida state. And, and I think, I think one of the things with Florida state too, is that I, on paper, it seems like the ACC is, is just not any good either. So I, I think that's kind of the one thing. But also, it's like, you know, they're, you look at their schedule and they play 
outside of Louisville, I mean, they play all kind of what are perceived as the other best teams in the in the ACC. You know, they they got to go on the road in November to Notre Dame, which they're not in the S- the ACC, but they're they kind of are because they play half of an ACC schedule. Um, they play Clemson at home, but they got to go to Duke. I guess Duke is not. Got to go to Miami, which that shouldn't scare me. It's Mario Cristobal. So actually, yeah, I mean, their schedule is not is is pretty manageable. Their toughest game, obviously, being at Notre Dame, but. I just I I don't know what they have and like I they're they're graduating their two best receivers DJU coming in who is just he's fine he's fine DJ Uyelungale is fine he he's a fine college football player but I I don't think he's a guy who can kind of put a team on his back and 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 shepherd like a top ten type offense in the country I, he's just he's just not that type of player so. Um, I, I, I might I might be back on the Clemson should probably be the favorite in the ACC train. Another team on his buy list that I just had quick thought on is A and M, and he's got a like you know mentioned you mentioned A and M earlier that they're ahead of OU they're one spot ahead of OU in this SP plus projection, and By I think ESPN point one point so it's I mean it's basically they're even essentially. Okay. And ESPN's way too early. Top twenty-five has A and M down at twenty-five. So Connolly's you know rankings have them about you know double the the ranking as that you know compared to ESPN's. And I mean, I like Mike Elko. Mike Elko, I think that's a good hire. I think that was the right hire. Like I I don't know. I know that it sounds like for five minutes Mark Stoops apparently was the head coach. I, if I'm an A and M fan, I would not have been that excited about Mark Stoops coming in. He's done a great job at Kentucky. Don't get me wrong, but. I don't know. I mean, Elko was very much was very loved at A and M. His couple of years there, the defense was great, and the guys had a lot of success. Obviously, went to Duke. The problem with A and M, though, is their schedule. Man, like it's the SEC. You look look at their schedule, and you you can you can count five to six losses. I mean, they got Notre Dame, which is interesting. That Notre Dame. They, um, wait, okay, oh, yeah, because Riley Leonard was just. Elko's Pretty sure it's in, and, and that's in College Station. That's a great. I mean, that's a banger of an opening week game. That's awesome. Notre Dame going to yeah. College Station. Um, I, 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 I can talk myself into Texas A and M. You, they have a lot of good players on their roster, like, and they're they're inflated in this because of their recruiting success. I mean, that's that's where it is. Um, I just I can't get there with. I I just I do not understand. A and M being ahead of OU offensively in the projections. Other than I, you know, OU does you know quarterback and offensive line. Like I get it, but I, the last time Texas A and M was better than Oklahoma on offense was when Johnny Manziel was there and Mike Evans, and I, I just I, Mike Elko coming in who is not an offensive oriented coach. Like I, I'm much more buying Texas A and M even though they graduated a lot. Like Texas A and M just being really good on defense next year. I and I know Connor Weigman was good last year before he got hurt. But uh, it's it's hard for me to get there with with A and M. I could see A and M punching above their weight. I just in no world do I see them being a top twelve offense in college football. I just that's not going to happen. Yeah, and so I, I mentioned Notre Dame. Just wanted to mention their schedule. That Notre Dame uh, at Florida, which I know Florida's not necessarily a a great team expected to be, but you're at Florida and it's early season. So expectation, like they're still going to be thinking they can have a good year. Uh, Missouri, LSU at Auburn and Texas is on the schedule. So, I mean, that's, you can see five to six losses there with A&M and you mentioned Wegman uh, that it's, it's, it's similar to OU. It's like if, if he actually is a guy, he's a five-star quarterback. And he, if he's a guy that can stay healthy and is really good, 
then A and M is going to feel pretty, pretty solid about their team. And then another one of the X factors in A and M that, and you can tell me, I don't, I don't know if this guy has some sort of great track record. But what do you think about Colin Klein, their offensive coordinator? Because wasn't he at K State? Didn't he, like wasn't he K State's OC or yes. quarterbacks coach or, or yeah? And, and I, I mean. Kansas State had a good offense this past year. They were good. Kansas State, I think, per SB Plus, had a top 10 offense in college football this past hmm. year, which is which they did. I mean, if you watched Kansas State last year, I mean, they, they moved the ball pretty easily the entire yeah. season. Yeah. They, they just kind of they, they struggled kind of like sometimes in money downs. But, um, yeah, I mean, I could, see, I, I, I could see that working out. But also, I don't – when I've watched Connor Wagman, he's not, he's not really a mobile guy. He's more of a pocket-type passer. And so that kind of, you know, that's that's not really, I mean, that's that's not the Kansas State way. They always kind of have a guy who can move around back there, and it seems like that's how they always called their offense. And everyone, I mean, that's that's what Colin Klein was as a player as well. So it's, it, 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 that's a good hire, good hire for Texas A&M. He's 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 produced good offenses with kind of subpar talent in the past. And so I don't know. I'm 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 just kind of I'm. Notre Dame is is the team in, in front of there where I just like ah, I don't I don't really see it I think Notre Dame is just kind of who they are they a, a top uh, tenth on offense for Notre Dame they're just that's another team they're just not going to be better than OU on the offense side of the ball they're just not going to be well at least with A and M too with Colin Klein you're upgrading to a young guy who like you said has had some success with not as much talent at Kansas State. You would think that his mentality of offense is a little bit more uh, new school compared to your ditching Jimbo Fisher's old school, <laughs> like under center, uh, gets all these great quarterback talents, but can't really develop them aside from Jameis Winston, I guess. And so you're moving on from that. And so maybe that's one of those things where the upside's there at A&M and they think, all right, well, like, yeah, here we go. We got a good defensive coordinator, head coach coming in. We got, so yeah, I, I can see how A&M fans could be excited with that. Just real quick before we – that's all I have really on this. I did want to – and everyone kind of already knows this, but just to hammer it home, I mean, OU's got to – they got to start the year 3-0. and They can't get upset early in the season. I mean, Temple, their top their, – their first game, Temple's like almost dead last on this list. So that should be a situation where it's like last year where Oklahoma just smoked uh, – gosh, who was it now? Who'd they beat up? I, Arkansas State. This is very oh, – yeah, Arkansas State. Very, very similar to just playing Arkansas State this past season. With Temple. So, yeah, they, they, it's very similar opening game. And then Houston and Tulane. Houston at 78 and Tulane at 69. Uh, you know, two teams that are very low and we're going to be are going through a lot of changes. You know, I, I believe at least Tulane is for sure. I guess I'm not really sure about. Well, Houston, about Houston. I mean, well, Willie Fritz went from Tulane to Houston. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there we go. Um, but Houston so. also is they, they don't have anybody coming back They're They're they kind of lost their entire team. Um, so that'll be interesting, and it's the same for Tulane. They're Houston and Tulane both very, very down at the bottom of returning production this upcoming season, and uh, yeah, Houston might be, you know, might be one of the worst teams in the Big Twelve this upcoming season. Um, Tulane, uh, we'll see, but those are games that they have at home now, and yeah, they they have they have to win those games because, I, I mean, it's you go into if if you take just the SP plus rankings. O- OU's SEC schedule is unreasonable. It's it's just not a <laughs> South Carolina is the worst SEC team they face. They're forty seconds in the SP plus. That's like where West Virginia was this past season. 
And that was one of OU's best wins this past year. Yeah. Yeah, it's a new ball game. And, you know, it's one of those things where we know the competition's better. Will Oklahoma actually kind of meet the moment? Because I know our, I'll bring up our friend Brady Trantham. One of his theories for forever is that, and I think there's some, there's some legitimacy to it. I don't, I don't buy into it fully, but, I mean, Oklahoma's been so used to playing in the Big 12 and always being the big dog and always having the target on, the, on its back that, for whatever reason, the, these, these guys get lazy and they just go in expecting to win. And then, you know, they're, every team that plays them, whether it's Kansas State, or Houston, or Baylor, or Kansas, you know, all these teams, West Virginia, it's always their Super Bowl, and now you're going to go into a league where, yeah, teams are still going to be like, we got to beat Oklahoma, but it's not going to, it's, Oklahoma's one of <laughs> multiple other schools where other teams are like, yeah, I want to beat Alabama, I want to beat LSU, I want to beat Georgia, I mean, it's, not everybody's circling Oklahoma, want to beat Texas. Not everybody's circling Oklahoma on the schedule. So in a weird way, will Oklahoma take advantage of that? And can they actually play better? I don't know. I mean, part of me, I don't, the, a big reason why I don't buy super into that is because there's always new players going in and out of the, the, the team every single year. So it's not like you have like veteran players that have been doing this for seven, eight years. Like, oh, here we go again. You got to play Kansas again. It's like you get new guys every single year to where like they should be excited to play Missouri. Uh, well, not Missouri because they haven't been in the Big 12 for years. They should be excited to play West Virginia <laughs> because it's like new to them. And yet Oklahoma would still get upset and beat by some of these random teams. Like, so I, I think there's some legitimacy to that theory, but I, I don't buy into it. And maybe, maybe, one, maybe we can have a podcast where we debate it again. But I don't know. But yeah, South Carolina being the, the worst conference game they have is certainly different than what – these guys have seen for forever six of their eight sec games are against teams in the top 15 of sp plus that is absurd and uh we'll see how that works out i don't know and then if you know the other the other two games one of them is against number 31 on the road and like we said the other one's against number 42 so um it's a new world it's a new world there's um we'll see i mean there's precedent you know when Texas A&M and Missouri had instant success in the SEC their first their first few years. Of course, Texas A&M had, you know, Johnny Manziel and mostly Mike Evans and other NFL offensive linemen as well. I mean, Johnny Manziel was great in college. That's it's stupid to poo-poo that. But um, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see if OU can uh, can rise to the occasion. They certainly have some guys on the defensive side of the ball. You can kind of point to and say, hey, I think there's a lot of potential there to be among the best in the country at their positions. Um, and then, of course, like what we already talked about, if Jackson Arnold is one of the best quarterbacks in college football, OU is going to be one of the best teams in the SEC. I, and I, that's, I don't think that's that crazy or reactionary to say. And if he's, if he's good but also struggles, which he's going to struggle because it'll be his first year starting and he doesn't have a lot of experience, you'd think the glass half full is, man, this schedule is so brutal that hopefully he doesn't get beaten down by it and learns a lot from it and then hey maybe 2025 <laughs> is the year where he takes a jump but then again Oklahoma you know they're gonna be losing a lot of guys on defense but you hope this season they can they can uh, develop a lot of guys and I mean we're not gonna get to 2025 yet but it's just it's all about Jackson Arnold man it's all about the quarterback as we know anything about football it granted it's probably more so in the NFL than college but it, yeah it's right now with Oklahoma it's got to be on Jackson Arnold Jackson Arnold, and it's also on um, 
one, because, yeah, Jackson Arnold is the guy who could, you know, in, in my mind, there's, you know, the, there's a couple of X factors there. Jackson Arnold turning into a guy throwing to these receivers who we all think are going to be really good. Um, and then also, I, I think I, I, this is sort of what, where I've been in my head over the last couple weeks when I'm thinking about sort of like half glass full, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Zach Alley, the new defensive coordinator, been looking more into his stuff, kind of reading about his philosophy. Um, and he's, he's more of a proponent of, of the Iowa State defense, like kind of that umbrella defense with the three safeties. He's a little bit more aggressive, brings a little bit more exotic pressure from it is, is one of his MOs. And um, I just think to myself, kind of in the middle, that umbrella in the middle, Danny Stutzman in the middle, and then what I think we all assume would be their three safety look would be uh, the law firm, uh, Billy Bowman, Peyton Bowen, and Robert Spears Jennings. And I think when I think about that, I, I can start to talk myself into that being a pretty nasty group up the middle of the defense. And we'll see. I mean, we'll see if they can kind of put that together in, in, in an offseason. But if those four guys on defense kind of turn into, I think we already think that Danny Stutzman and Billy Bowman are, are all SEC type players potentially going into next year. Uh, but if, if Peyton Bowen and Robert Spears Jennings can, can develop and they can be sort of a nasty little umbrella coverage there and that three safety look, I think that would go a long way, um, especially with the other returning production on defense, guys who have been experienced. Um, and of course, Jackson Arnold throwing bombs to Nick Anderson and Deion Burks, I think, would, uh, would probably do more for that. But there's there. It, it's okay. It's like we've, we've kind of gotten through this bit of the offseason where, where things have gone, it seems like they've gone wrong in some senses with NIL and, and losing some other guys. But as we get closer, you can kind of start talking yourself into there actually being some things to be excited about. All right, let's switch gears a little bit to the NFL Combine news. Some of the, uh, we'll kind of put a bow on the, the previous season. Just a couple guys that obviously we all know a lot about. Three players from OU's 2023 roster have been invited to the NFL Scouting Combine. That's Walter Rouse, Tyler Guyton, and Andrew Rame. Uh, three offensive linemen, three starters that, uh, you know, obviously the big storyline will be following all throughout the offseason into August will be the Oklahoma offensive line. But one guy not invited to the draft, draft, the, the Scouting Combine, is wide receiver Drake Stoops. And so I saw, you know, you, obviously you and I, we follow a lot of Oklahoma uh, reporters and a lot of my former colleagues and you know, fans and whatnot, and it's easy to think, oh, man, you know, should he have been invited? So I ask you, Grant, do you think Drake Stoops should have been invited to the NFL scouting combine? I mean, I think so, but also a lot of the times it's not really how that works. Um, if you go down the list of the receivers who are there, yeah, he's, he, he outproduced a lot of the guys this season on that list. But that's not necessarily why it's the case. You go down and you, you see the guys that he clearly outproduced, and they're all like toolsy guys. They're all big. They're all long. Um, t a lot of the times, right, they're probably guys that are on the scouting department's radar, guys who are just like on the big board, and so they're invited. So, I yeah, I, I, I think his... His career and what he did this past season, I think probably warranted an invite, but it also doesn't really work out that way. I still think he is he's gonna be an undrafted free agent. He's gonna make an NFL roster and he's gonna have a productive career. I'm I'm like I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah, I, I, it's I don't think it's a big deal that he wasn't invited at all. Um he'll cause you know, he'll get his pro day, scouts will see him, he's Bob Stoops' son. I mean, he's he's gonna get <laughs> eyeballs on him. He'll be fine. 
Uh, but, you know, if you're Drake Stoops, yeah, you're, you're annoyed, you're disappointed that you're not invited. I mean, that's probably a pretty cool experience to do that. I mean, especially for a guy like him who uh, is not necessarily – he's probably not going to get drafted. So going and just being in that, that – you know, getting that experience around all those guys would probably be pretty fun. And you kind of can judge where you are and you could have that competition. So, uh, I mean, he's a competitor. He's built himself up from a walk-on to a scholarship player to becoming Oklahoma's most reliable receiver during the last season. So, yeah, him getting snubbed of an invite uh, probably because of his measurables. Uh, yeah, probably disappointing for him. But to your point, I mean, he's always bet on himself. He knew he was good enough to play at Oklahoma coming out of high school. He was right about that. Uh, he certainly uh, he improved all throughout his time at Oklahoma, and then it, he you know, has best season in his final year. He's going to think that he's good enough to play in the NFL. And you just said it. Like, I know that you've been saying for years now that you think he's going to be a productive player in the NFL, make a roster. Like, I don't know. I tend to, I tend to think that, I don't know. I, yes, I would not be surprised if he made a roster. I just don't, I don't know what he will be able to do to stick around because is he a guy that can be an efficient special teams player? Like, is he a guy that's going to run down and make a bunch of tackles for you on special teams? I don't know if he can do that unless he's just a really good receiver. It's just his size. He's got to go to the right type of team that would utilize him. He's a really smart player. We all know that. Like, he's going to get a shot. It's just I'm trying to get creative in how he can make it work. I, but by, again, being a, like I, by being a reliable receiver in the short to mid-range. That's – yeah. I, guy who can move I guess the I guess betting against betting against Drake Stoops probably not smart because he's he's figured it out ever since he got out of high school and he made it work at Oklahoma and he was one of the best one of the best players in Oklahoma high school football uh, coming out and he could have gone to what some small schools and play but he's like yeah you know I'm gonna go to Oklahoma I want to go to OU and it worked out so we'll see it all I mean it all depends on fit but yeah he'll it does get a it shot. very very much depends on where he goes um like I, I don't like I'm bringing any news. Like Kansas City would be a really really great landing spot for him. Um, in, anywhere with any of like kind of the big like the Chargers would probably be a good landing spot for him. Uh, Tampa Bay probably would be. Um, just any if 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 like if he goes to Baltimore, it's over. It's not going to work out. Type thing. Um, it, it it would it would need to be to go to an offense with a good quarterback who knows what he's doing. You don't think Todd Munkin's going to get Drake Stoops involved? How long is Todd, Mun Todd Munkin going to even be there? I feel like that guy hops around so much. He's like, got a job for a year or two, somewhere else, year or two, somewhere else. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I mean uh, no, it's just that's not, a, that's not an offense that wants to throw the ball. And they, when, they, when they have to, they're not able to do it, as we saw in the AFC Championship game. But they threw it a lot more this past year with Munkin calling the plays than they ever have with Lamar Jackson. And let me just kind of look at the numbers real quick. And Lamar Jackson, yeah, he, he attempted way more passes this season compared to the rest of his career. He, uh, when did he win the MVP? I mean, I guess probably in 2019 he probably won it. I think it was the year before the COVID, I think. Yeah. So that season, his MVP season, is pre, it's, it's nuts he's got two MVPs. I, I, yeah, good for him. Uh, he had 401 pass attempts that year and, and back in 2019. 2023 he had 457 pass attempts and he completed 67 percent of his passes which 
It's his best year. I mean, he had his he had his best season, I think, as a player, even compared to his first MVP year. Had a lot more touchdown passes in 2019, honestly. But uh, actually, no, 2019 was his best year. <laughs> he's his, a really good player. His QB rating really, was pretty good. Yeah, he's he's really good player. He's it's 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 turned into a cliche at this point, but I mean, it, it is true. When you need him to become a passer in the highest leverage situations, he fails pretty consistently. Yeah, he does. It's it's very interesting. I, it's ridiculous how dominant the Ravens have been in the regular season since he's been this type of player, and yet you can set your your watch to it in the postseason. Whenever the it's almost like the you know how the NBA playoffs the they start playing defense and it's just different than the regular season. And then like all these like there's like so many really good like the Houston Rockets are a good example you know, from a few years ago. They could play score all these points and win all these games in the regular season, and then their style just they end up losing, you know, one or two rounds into the playoffs for because the defense got better and they just couldn't rely on all those threes. It's I hate using basketball and football analogies. I hate it, but I'm using it now. So uh, that's kind of what makes me think about the the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. It's like it's, it just doesn't work in the playoffs. Again, high leverage NFL football, especially in the playoffs, there is just something about the power of a competent and commanding field general that I, I think just and games like that just spill over to the rest of the team. And I, mean, I think that's, you know, that's why Brady has seven Super Bowls. That's why you saw Pat Mahomes this year turn into more of a, a field general-like, where he is just getting them in the right play, not making mistakes when they absolutely can't make mistakes. There's, there's just something about that that not everybody has at the NFL level. And I, Lamar Jackson, I, I don't know if he has that. I, I just I don't know if he does. I believe that was the first time that that the Ravens have seen the Chiefs in the playoffs since Lamar Jackson's been doing this. Because uh, I was going to say, uh, to be fair to Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen is a guy that also has not been able to get over the hump, and he's definitely more of a you know a pat like he's a better passer than Lamar Jackson. But I think with Josh Allen, you could just in to some extent Lamar Jackson's like it's just Mahomes. Yeah, they're playing in the same <laughs> era as Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Allen's faced Mahomes what now at least twice in the playoffs, if not three times. And Lamar Jackson just faced him once, uh, but yeah, that's that's also the big factor. Like I'm pretty, yeah, just, pretty sure, yeah, they're pretty sure Josh Allen has lost to Mahomes in the playoffs three times, and I think in two of those games, the last time that Allen touched the ball, the Bills had the lead. I, there's just it sucks. I mean, that really sucks for him. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next topic, and uh, this is kind of more of the the fun college football lovers topic and i'm sure a lot of people that listen to this show uh, that like that love college football probably grew up playing the NCAA football video games and we this week you know even after what a month and a half ago you know when we were supposedly going to get an update <laughs> during the national championship game and never did uh, now we finally have an update on what's going to be NCAA football 25 and it's coming out this summer and ea sports announced that there's going to be a full reveal in May. And so there was a, a trailer. I, I mean, I guess you, you call it a trailer, even though there was no game footage included. And I watched the trailer. Like, I'm sure a lot of you watched it as well. I'm sure you saw it, Grant. And it's it's cool. I mean, it's like, okay, like it's for people like us, you know, we're in our 30s now. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're 18 or something and you're a kid, you're not going to have as much nostalgia for the NCAA football video games because you've been growing up in an era they don't exist. They haven't existed in, what, 10 years? 
So, like, this is going to be the first time they've, they've had it in 10, 11 years. Be 11 and years. I, 11, when 11 they release years. it in, in early July, it'll be 11 years since NCAA 13 was out. So it was, I think, NCAA 14. And sorry, NCAA 14, you're right. It was the 2013 season. And real quick, and I teased this at the start, and I'll just throw it out there to get it out of the way. I have a problem with the announcement of it being NCAA football 25. Because, and they used to do this at all with the last ones. I, I don't understand, why is it not NCAA football 24? I don't understand why is it not the same year of the college football season. That bothers me. I, I don't know. Do you have any answers? Like, does that bother? Am I the only person that bothers? I don't uh, no. I mean, you're not the first person who's brought that up because, but it's every sports game ever has been like this for as long as I've been playing I've video games. I've never understood that. I don't get uh, it. Yeah. I don't, I don't get it either, but it's like, I don't, I remember it bothering me like back in the day and like, but it's also, it's kind of a trivial thing. It's not really, it's more of just like a, a ticky tack thing. Like I just, that's just how it is. That's just how, that's how they've always done it. Is it like how with new cars they always make it like oh it's the it's a 2024 Chevy whatever yeah. but like you can buy but you can buy it in 2023 so it just seems like super new I, I guess I don't know but my I other theory uh, is that my, so my other theory is that the national title game is played in in 2025 technically so maybe that's what and the same thing with like Madden you know like the Super Bowl is played in the in the next year and with NBA it, like obviously the NBA seasons go into to some maybe they could use that as an excuse in that vein it bugs me that like you go you look at the um like for for everyone who is in like for Michigan and Washington the national championship game this year like the patch on their jersey it had 2024 on there which I get it the game is being played in the year 2024 I hate that I hate that if when 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 Michigan hangs the banner it's going to be 2023 like that's that's what you're doing, so like it's that's always bugged me. I, they need to get rid of that. Like you are that event is to celebrate the 2023 season. The fact that it's just played in January is kind of a an accident of the calendar. And uh, fortunately, there's I'm, I just did a, cu- a quick little search, and I mean I I'm kind of with you on that. It is kind of weird to see that 2024, but yeah, I mean I'm sure they would just say, well, this is the 2024 whatever national title game or you know, or Rose Bowl or whatever it's like okay technically yeah but yeah but still <laughs> it doesn't uh, it does, back to back to the video game um hold on, hold on, hold on, the, hold on know, real the, quick real quick hold on time out real quick I just wanted to acknowledge I'm thinking like you know we mentioned Madden and basketball and like how it's baseball MLB the show you know the big baseball game the entire baseball season is the one the one year like the baseball season starting in 2024 it's going to end in 2024 Okay, MLB The Show is coming out in March this year. MLB The Show 24. So baseball does not do the th- which maybe it is. Maybe it's tied to when the when the title game is played. Maybe that's why these these. Anyways, okay, sorry. Go back to the game. Well, that's a good poll there. I, I never I did never realize that about the show, which uh, presumably you haven't played in a long time. It's a good game. It's a good game. Um. But yeah, you know, I'm 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 really excited about this too. I was really bummed when they delayed it. It was supposed to come out this past July. Was was originally when everyone thought it was going to come out. They delayed it. Um, I think they've been they've been working on it now for about four years, and so I I'm I'm just excited to have the game back. There's a bit of me that is a little 
after you know, I, I liked the trailer. It was fun. I liked that they paid lip service to the people who have just been waiting a long time. They paid lip service to the traditions of college football, and like that's kind of actually the that's that's the main thesis of of the of the teaser trailer. Basically, is just is we're doing all of this stuff, and it's about the passion, and it's about all that. And so I like that. Um, but also, I'm you know I'm someone who has consumed EA Sports video games over the last decade since NCAA football has has gone away. And uh, Lee, I, these video games, they get worse every single year. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. The incentive structure and the economy of this stuff has changed completely. Um, and this, this really wasn't a big thing when you were still playing sports video games, but now the biggest game mode in any game is the ultimate team mode, which is this stupid thing where you, you do different challenges for card packs and you open the card packs and there's a lot of microtransactions and from an economic standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. They make a lot of money off of these. They make a lot of money off of them because there's a bunch of mouth breathers who get addicted to the card pack thing and they start spending real money to get it so they can go online <laughs> and compete against people. Um, and they just and so what's happened over the last handful of years is EA and it's it's also the NBA 2K series where this has completely infected that as well. That was that that's a really popular series that has been kind of ruined by microtransactions in this ultimate team mode. Uh, what they do, what these studios do, Lee, is because they have like a built-in, very loyal fan base that always buys the game, so you can always rely on that revenue. Um, but then when the game is out, they end up making a vast majority of their money off of this ultimate team. So it just makes sense that they divert their resources to that. Um, and I, I just, it's a bad game mode. It's just, it's just not compelling at all. I don't like it. It's and obviously there's a lot of people who like it because they make money off of it, but it's I think like I've seen stats it's it's a pretty vocal minority it's only it's only like a quarter of people play that game mode, except the people who do play it just spend a ton of money on it and are super into it, um, and a lot of the times it's been at the expense of kind of the long term hardcore fans that like franchise mode like dynasty mode, and I'm. I'm it's it has been confirmed. I saw on Instagram or whatever. It's been confirmed that Ultimate Team is gonna be part of NCAA football twenty five. That's just that's that's a red flag. That's not a good thing. That's that's not a good thing. And so I think in this first year, it'll probably be the novelty of it, the fact that the game is back and it has all of the teams and all of the stadiums and everything. I you know, it'll be fine. But you know, kind of watch it down the line to see how much how much they put into that ultimate team. Because, um, I mean, I this was the first year in a long time I just didn't buy Madden. And I'm glad I didn't because the franchise mode in Maddenly is completely untouched, untouched the last five or six years. They haven't changed it. It's exactly God. the same. They don't do anything. And if you played video games, video games back in the mid-2000s when the NFL 2K series was a thing, and them and Madden were going head-to-head and competing. The franchise mode for Madden 2005 is orders of magnitude deeper than it is today. And that's unacceptable. That is completely unacceptable with the amount of resources, the amount of money that goes into these games now. And it's in my mind, it's all because of that incentive structure has been warped from just the really stupid Ultimate Team mode that that only satiates a very, very small minority of the player base. And um, I, hope, I, I hope they understand what they have here and they put their resources where it needs to be is, is kind of where I'll leave it. But, I, you know, 
I'm going to buy the, I, I will have the game in my hands the very first day it comes out. And if it comes out during the week, I will probably take time off work so I can play it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's certainly disappointing the way video games have gone and how sports games have gone. It's not just sports games, I know. It's, it's any kind of games. And you know, I'm somebody, I, man, I haven't played a video game in probably five years. And would, I, is, I would this game, game get you to buy a, buy a console? to play it because uh, i there's i know that great there's been a lot of conversation about that like going on like online on social media because you know i mean you're you're in your mid-30s now there's a lot of people like you who it's just like life happens priorities change you do different things with your time and video games just kind of trail off you don't play them that much anymore there's a lot of people saying like hey this game's back now and i'm i'm gonna buy a playstation 5 in the summer just so i can play this game are, are you one of those people how much are PlayStation Fives going for these days? Or like the Xbox or whatever? Like, how, what are we what are we talking here? I don't even know how much uh, it costs. They're five hundred bucks. Oh goodness! Uh, yeah, I mean, probably not. I, uh, I, I'll probably be one of those people. I'll probably just go into YouTube and just kind of watch the gameplay or something. I mean, I guess if I, you know, obviously you'll have it. You'll be able to tell me. I mean, if if you're somebody that's like, man, this is actually really cool, and if your review on it is good, then maybe i would think about it depending on where i am but that's a lot of money i, I just don't i mean considering this would be it like i wouldn't buy other games like i would literally be paying that much money just to play this video game and knowing that i, I just don't play them anymore i probably it'd probably be a really poor financial decision on my part so we'll see but but back to like what you're talking about it's the question is i think and is like why do you play video games like or, like whenever I play video games back in the day, like why did I enjoy them so much? And maybe I'm a psychopath, but I, I played in subway football like all of you probably did. I played MLB the show all the time. I, I didn't play Madden as much. I, I preferred the, the 2K series when a couple of years it was out uh, because I just didn't think Madden was a very good game. But I thought in subway football was was better than Madden. And it was just more the novelty. and It was more fun because it was college and like the you know the road to glory and the dynasty and you could you could get like a bad team and you could build them up and you could get ranked and try to win a national that's all it's fun uh but what i would do you is, like this you like the simulation aspect you like the real life simulation aspect of the sports yes community. i yeah like the real life like i would love how they had the sports illustrated covers and man i was such a psychopath i would do the thing like because you had so much time as a kid and in college and what i would go on and obviously you would you would download rosters and you would make sure that all the all the players were right and stuff because you could you could do that online you could some of the late games you could actually get the names into the game like I mean you could go do it you could edit it yourself but that would take forever uh, towards the end you could actually like download files and stuff people would make them you know credit to them they would take the time to put all these players in which is awesome uh, by the way now like that's gonna be the new thing is like players, players are in the, the game. game which is how that's gonna work I'm kind of curious to see how that's gonna go uh, because. Is everybody going to be in the game, or is, it, is there going to be a union? I think or there's like, a gonna, no. There's yeah, a. I, I think essentially, so what's happened is the game contracts out with every single university, and I don't think they have like every team fully signed on yet, but they have like everyone but like two or three of them, and I'm talking like I think all of the major teams are in it too right now. But yeah, I, I, what I think happens is I think they basically they contract out with all the schools, and then they'll probably I think they're going to send just like opt in opt out forms to every single school and then they'll just they'll they'll just you know disperse those to the players opt in opt out if you opt in i think you get a free like a free copy of the game and 
a little bit of a little bit of cheddar here, but it's not like a lot. It's only going to be like hundreds of dollars. Um, and I, I think that's how they, I like, I know there, I think there was like some reporting on that, that that's how it's going to be essentially, which is like, which is great. That's awesome. And, and honestly, if you opt out of that, it's, that's weird. That's, that's super weird if you were to opt out of that. So I'm looking at an article from ESPN from, I think November. So maybe about three or four months ago where they were talking about it. And one of the parts it talks about, it's like, will there be a dynasty mode? They're going to be players, coaches. And so this is from the report. It says a lot is still to be determined. Uh, Holt, I guess the guy that from EA Sports that's in charge of the game. That's who they talk to. This guy named Holt. I probably should find his first name, but Steve Holt for now. <laughs> uh, he says Holt has stressed that the plan and intent is to have real college football players in the game. He didn't rule out anything else, including coaches, something the old versions of the game did not have. I mean, that's right. Like, it, it would not make sense to do this, especially all, all these years later, to, to not have coaches, especially because the coaches are the guys that actually stay longer <laughs> than a lot of the, the players, obviously. Uh, so it says, quote, uh, this is from Holt. <laughs> it says, wish I could talk a little bit more about that, but we'll have more to talk about in the future. Just one of the aspects as we talk about the features in more detail, we'll reveal more in the future. It's just they're, they're very secretive about a lot of stuff, which fine. But part of it is like, well, I guess full reveals coming in May, so we'll probably learn a lot more then. But it's like, all right, like whenever I don't hear a lot, it's 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 either they're keeping it so tight lipped because it's so awesome or they're not saying a lot because they really don't know yet. And there's really not a whole lot of details, which I kind of lean towards that, honestly, like they're still trying to figure this out. Yeah, and that's which is, could that's be fair. That's a fair way because yeah, you go look at the teaser trailer. There's there's no in game footage at all, and if there is, it's it's like them showing Maybe kind of like show the, the little like the pregame, the little Oklahoma pregame like little fire shooter thing they come. But it also right, doesn't. Underneath. It also honestly doesn't look very good. It looks very early in production. The stuff that they did show. Um, yeah, and so here's like if you really want to get in the weeds with video games and stuff like that, if this game is coming out in July, what is it? It's February right now. If the game is coming out in July, it is mostly done by this point. It is finished. They are at the point, and this is just if you know anything about video game creation. They're at the point right now where they're QAing it and they're testing it for bugs and everything. There's, if they're still working on building this thing right now, big red flag, it could be a disaster. But if, because if it's coming out, it needs to be done already. It needs to be, it has to be playable right now. And if they're not showing us anything, if you want to get half glass empty, that is a red flag. All right, real quick, I want to uh, correct myself. I said that this article from ESPN was from last November. Scratch that. It was from 2022. So this is a super old article. And by the way, it's the EA vice president and general manager, Daryl Holt, who was, uh, who was being interviewed. And okay, so that actually makes you feel a lot better because this is a lot from November of 2022. And so on this article, and to your point, saying that the game's probably done, uh, and this is actually, it wrote, okay, so this article came out with the idea that it was going to be released that following summer, and, you know, summer of 2023. One of the parts of this is, uh, where are they in development? And so as of November of 2022, it says, Holt said, they're past the creative design, past pre-production phases, they've started production, They've completed some prototypes and things they can look at. Uh, he says, think of it as they've gone to the grocery store, picked up most of what they want, and are starting to heat up the oven to cook. So 
in November of 2022, they were just starting to heat up. The, so basically the entire that, – that's not a good sign if they were actually going to plan on releasing it in 2023. They were super – so that's that's why they kicked it to 2024, right? Because if in November of 22 they were just starting to heat up the oven to cook, oh, boy, like that. So in a way, I guess it's a good thing they kicked it another year because all throughout 2023, in theory, they – they were working on the game. So maybe, you know, hopefully that, you know, our, our weight, our being patient makes it to where the game is better. But, man, if this comes out and it's just like a Madden clone and, granted, I haven't played Madden in years, but I never liked Madden to begin with. Uh, so who knows? But it's just, it'll be very disappointing if it's, and, and you, I mean, you've been playing these games a lot more than me, so you'll be a good person to talk to uh, when it comes out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the novelty of it, the, the nostalgia is pretty fun to think about this coming back out. If if it's a mad if if it's like in terms of gameplay and like what the game looks like when you're actually like when the offense and defense is out there if it's a Madden clone, then for year one it'll be it'll be a big success in that regard. Like I, when you're actually playing Madden, it's just like and you're playing against a computer, it's it's fine, it's pretty good. It's like there hasn't been a lot of innovations in how they how they do things, but without making like big swing innovations, they've gotten about as good as I think you can on this generation of consoles. The problem with Madden is that it's just not a deep game. There's not a lot of things to do. Um, and the presentation and all of that is still really bad. It's still really, really bad. They don't do a good job with that stuff at all. And that's what I like the most about all these games was I wanted it to seem and feel like I was watching a game on TV. Uh, and a lot of these games kind of figured that out. I mean, they, they integrated ESPN, the Broadcast, NBA 2K series is, is, is the best at that, for sure. And, and MLB The Show is really good at it, too. Uh, Madden I'm, is just woeful. It's woefully terrible. They need to do a better job. And even the FIFA series was pretty good at that, you know, with the, with the Premier League licensship that they had. Um, I, you know, I, I hope they figure it out for college because that's a massive, massive part of the charm of the college game. They need to nail that. And I hope they have people on their team that realize and understand that. And the thing that I always wanted, you know, when we were talking about presentation, that is never going to happen because this would take way too much coordination and money and everything, so it would never happen. But, man, I, I wanted it to be as – and it's more possible in the NFL, but, like, different broadcast presentations. Like, the game's on ESPN, but now this game is on CBS – but now this game is on Fox. And you, but that's just – there's no way that could ever happen. And like, unless the show kind of does that now. Really? Kind of. It's, it's different. Like you, they have like their typical like show broadcast which, and those guys. But then they have like three or four other templates that also show up. And one of them is like the game is just on MLB Network, uh, which huh. is – and it's good. It, it kind of creates – it, it creates some, some variability and difference. And like it's, it's always Matt Vaskersian or whatever. But like the graphics are different from game to game sometimes. And, and so they've that's like cool. gotten into that. Yeah. Like the, I mean, Madden, that's the thing is, I hate that Madden has always had a monopoly. Well, I shouldn't say always had a monopoly since the mid mid 2000s, whenever they didn't want to compete with NFL 2K anymore. Madden's got the NFL's blessing. I mean, how cool would it be if, you know, if you're playing with the Bucks, you know, and see, then a lot of your games are like you get Fox graphics and stuff. And then, oh, and then maybe you play you play a couple games on CBS. And then like for the playoffs, there's man it's a lot more possible in the NFL just because there's fewer broadcast networks. And I guess maybe the NBA, cause there's it's most things are on ESPN or TNT. So the NBA could even the 2k could even do it more with that. Uh, but just, 
some people might think that's a small thing. I, I don't. Th- I think that's cool. I mean, it makes it seem different, and every game's different. And I guess you have to get different broadcasters too, which would be hard. And that's. So, yeah. I, I think that's. I think that. I think it's just a logistical problem and a money problem too, because they yeah. have. I mean, I'm. And I guess I'm not sure if ESPN is going to be in college football 25. I, I presume that it will be just because it it was and basically like the previous 10 years of the game before it was discontinued. Um, but I'm pretty sure they pay ESPN for that license. And so would you really want to pay multiple stations for their licensing? And then you'd have to pay multiple people to come in and record audio as well. Um, especially now when you're going to have to, you, you have to revenue share a little bit with the players and the universities. It just may not be that realistic. Whereas with, you know, the show has probably found like the best way of doing that, which is like it's the same broadcast people, but they just kind of change the graphics up a little bit and the presentation style up a little bit. Which like that, I mean, that would be a that'd be a very thoughtful thing for them to do. I just I yeah. highly doubt we would see it in the first year. Like that's something that the show implemented over the course of various years, just because they were trying to find a way, you know, to make the game a little bit better year by year. And good on them. Well, we'll wait until May to see what the, the big reveal is going to be, and we'll, we'll learn a lot more, I guess, coming up in May. And then you expect uh, probably mid to late July release, because that's kind of how it used to always be. I mean, they did say July. so used to always, always the first yeah. week of July is usually when it came out. So, um, okay. Man, nope. it'd be really cool. It'd be really cool if we see it again the first week of July, because it's not, that's not, not that far away. Not that far away. It'll be here before we know it. And, uh, I'm getting there. Yeah, curious to see what this reveal looks like in May. Um, because yeah, I mean, presumably they're going to show gameplay and all of that, and that's that's even more so. What I said now about the game being done and being playable, if they're showing stuff in May, it should be of this is what exactly the game looks like while it's being played, because this thing's coming out in two months. All right, so the Super Bowl was a week ago, well, more than a week ago now. I mean, we don't got to talk about it, but I don't know. Do you have? Uh, we'll do it this way. You got. Do you have one big, uh, one big takeaway, one like a hot take at all, just to, to throw that out there, or are your takes pretty uh, lukewarm? You know, I think, um, I, I, you know, it's the Super Bowl, so I mean, it's been overanalyzed to death, obviously. Um, I think people, this is weird. I mean, this is going to be weird coming from me, but I think, I think people kind of going really hard in the paint about how, you know, it's. It really was Brock Purdy versus Patrick Mahomes. That was a difference in the game. I, I don't really see it that way. I thought Purdy played pretty well, actually. He clearly played well enough to win the game. Um, I I thought the biggest difference in the game was um, Kansas City, on the defensive side of the ball, had the two guys who played the best game of anyone defensively in the game, and that was, uh, that was Chris Jones. And um, I don't know why his name was literally in my head. Uh, uh, Trent McDuffie. They, they had the two best defensive players in the game, and those guys won Kansas City the game. I mean, and Mahomes obviously was great um, at, at the end of the game when they absolutely needed him to be. But I, I think I said before this that like the biggest matchup in the game is actually Chris Jones against against that the San Francisco offensive line, and that's he did he made the play to force the field goal on on that first overtime drive, and Trent McDuffie was was just great that entire game, and. Um, I, I, I thought that was the biggest difference in the game. And, you know, it's San Francisco was really unlucky. I, the, the, the fumble, like the punt, the guy that, that bounced off the guy's foot, I'm sorry, that's just BS fumble luck. That, you can't, if you're a San Francisco fan, like, 
all you can do is just throw your hands up. Nothing happened there. No one did anything wrong there. It just, nah, just it's just nah, stupid you gotta, fumble the, luck. The returner's got to be that. You got to be more. You got to get him out of the way. You got to yell Peter because he's not. You're not gonna. But yeah, like I, I'd say I wouldn't say nothing bad happened there. Like there was a way to potentially prevent it. But yeah, it, it was bad fumble luck too. And by the way, I mean you were on the Chiefs. I was on the Niners. So. I think uh, after, you know, I, I had a long streak of, of missing the Super Bowl as far as the pick. Like, I, I didn't get it right forever. And then I think finally, I think finally when the Eagles beat the Pats with, with Nick Foles, I got, I got that one right. <laughs> and I think I got a couple, like a few, a few in a row correct. And then I was back to getting it wrong uh, this year. But yeah, I mean, Chris Jones, man, the guy, like, I always struggle. And maybe I've talked about it on this show before. I, I struggle a lot, I think, with defensive line play. I think the the Twitter, you know, film watchers and like inside like I think people really overanalyze and, and really play up a lot of like defensive like um, Aaron Donald. Like people like Aaron Donald's the best player ever. And like I guess maybe he might be. I don't know. But I just don't I don't necessarily like see it as much like but with Chris Jones, and maybe this is just because he's been exposed because he plays in all these big games, Chris Jones always makes like one to two, maybe even three massive plays in all of these big games and makes me think oh this guy's the best defensive lineman in the nfl like this guy's awesome i don't know maybe if aaron donald played as many games like in these situations as chris jones he would show up as much and and i'm not saying he's a bad player obviously like i just i'm always kind of skeptical of like how good are these guys really maybe it stems from me whenever the bears you know they signed khalil mack and khalil mack just he had like one okay year with the Bears, but then didn't really do anything. It's like this guy's supposed to be this game wrecker. He's not doing anything. So like, are, are these defensive linemen really that impactful? Chris Jones seems like he's incredibly impactful, and it's just really impressive to me that he's able to always be like when the def- the offense knows he's that good, and he's always able to make two to three just massive plays in the game that totally change things up. I think it's really impressive. Well, yeah, and I I, I do think it's an interesting contrast. Chris Jones makes that huge play on, on that third down in the red zone in overtime to, to hold San Francisco to a field goal. And on Kansas City's drive on fourth and one, Nick Bosa just completely biffed that fourth and one. And that's why they were able to pick it up. He crashed down, didn't do his job. He should have kept contain. And, and San Francisco would have won the Super Bowl. I, I don't know. Like I went back and watched it. I thought that was an RPO at first. And it actually it wasn't. That was a that was a keep for Mahomes at all times. And if Nick Bosa would have done his job and just stayed at home like he's supposed to in that situation, the 49ers would have won the Super Bowl. Period. That wasn't an RPO? I thought he had a, a pass option on that. It looked like he did. He he did have a I, I guess, yeah. I mean, he did have a pass option, but it wasn't like a it wasn't a triple option. There was no give component to Pacheco at all there. So the RPO would have been yeah. Mahomes keeping it, or or he he could have, if somebody didn't follow Kelsey, he could have flipped it out to Kelsey in the flat. And also, I think Rasheed Rice was there running a little bit of a button hook, um, as a route as well. But yeah, I mean, if it's if Nick Bosa just stays at home and just and trusts his interior guys to take care of the run, he's right there. And like Nick Bosa, like Mahomes is not going to outrun Bosa there. Like that's not, and so. There is. There's Nick Bosa. He's trying to get upfield like an All-American, and he uh, <laughs> just he didn't do his job. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good catch. We've gone this far. So my my biggest takeaway, and you know, I I think it's everything you've said is fair, and 
fine. I I think the most interesting thing coming out of the game though is the the decision in overtime to take the ball by the Niners. And I know that's been overanalyzed a lot as well. And in the moment, I didn't think much of it because you know, this is the first time that this type of overtime has been used where they both get the ball. And so I didn't think like, oh, okay, wow, I can't believe they didn't take – or I can't believe they're taking the ball here. Whereas in hindsight, I think, I think in that scenario, especially against Patrick Mahomes, and I, you know, there's, there's reasons to take the ball and not take the ball. I tend to think that not taking the ball like – basically like the college like in college you want to play defense first I think it makes sense and the Niners kind of hurt themselves by taking the ball uh, because and mainly it comes down to if you're the team that's getting the ball second number one you know what you have to do uh, which is always a good thing and even if the other team scores a touchdown okay like well, we gotta score a touchdown now you have you always have four downs like you're never gonna punt so you're always going to be getting that extra down. And then whenever you get down there and you do score, and I know Patrick Mahomes said this after the game, obviously you go for two to go for the win. Because why would you give the ball back to another team knowing that if they score, the game's over? You just, okay, well, I can control this now. I can go win the game. If I don't get it, we lose. But it, it would make no sense to, to give the ball back to the other team to let them get a chance to go kick a field goal and win the game. And I guess the, the, the upside of taking the ball first for the Niners, obviously you score a touchdown then uh, or I guess the upside would be is if you both kick field goals and you match each other then you get the ball knowing that okay now I have the ball and I can score and win the game so like you can you can you can make the argument but the way that game was going and with Patrick Mahomes and and, and I know there was some thought about like well the defense for San Francisco was tired so maybe that's why they took the ball to give them a rest okay uh, I just think man it's hindsight's twenty twenty, but and I believe Kyle Shanahan addressed this too and I think he kind of went away from his analytics because I, I, I think and maybe I'm wrong about this, but I heard a, a soundbite from him where I, it came off to me as analytically he knew that it was better to not take the ball. But in that scenario, he just he felt like he should take. And maybe I'm wrong about that. So don't quote me. So I, I don't know if you heard that, too, but I don't know if I heard that. Uh, I heard the exact opposite, that that was a OK. So maybe I'm, that, that was maybe a I'm decision that they vetted with their analytic department. And the math says in that scenario to take the ball first. And I have no doubt that that probably is the case because, um, I mean, what? Like, of all of the things that can happen on an NFL drive, scoring a touchdown is the least likely of all of them. So I, 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 I wouldn't have done it. I, I would have I given the ball to Kansas City first, um, just be, it, but it would be totally off feel and all of that. But I have no doubt that the math says that it, it probably is better to kick. But also, the math doesn't, doesn't control for what the other team is going to do in that scenario as well. So I, I thought that's right. I, I thought San Francisco's decision there was, was defensible. It's, it's only until we find out after the game that Kansas city's plan was to go for two in that situation, which we can't read their minds. We don't know that that's their plan. So I think judging it based off of that hindsight is, is definitely a, an analytical error. No, I, I disagree. It's obvious they're going to go for two. Why? Why would you give the ball back to the team knowing that if they go score, they win the game? It that you always go for two to go for the win if they score a touchdown. I think. I mean, I, that's the way I would look at it because. I mean, yeah, I like I. You control. But, what you can control. Exactly, but like that's that's a scenario that's literally never happened in NFL football before. It's the first time we've ever seen this in NFL football. I, I, I just, yeah, but just I, put yourself, I really do think. 
I, 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 I trust Kyle Shanahan when he says that their analytics department said to take the ball first. And just how I know about analytics and probabilities and all of that, it would not surprise me to say that the math says, and that's, that's without, of course, the math is not taking into account the feelings of the other team and their vibe and what they're going to do. There's no doubt that in a traditional sense, in my mind, that the math probably does say it's best to take the ball first there because knowing you get that extra possession and you score, the game is over. That's like, I, I get it. That is defensible from a math perspective, maybe not from a vibe Patrick Mahomes is on the other side perspective. And let me just, and you know, you were right. I, I was wrong. So I'm kind of just looking you up real quick. So yeah, the, the idea, what you said is correct about Shanahan. They they had decided that they were going to take the ball in an overtime, and that, that was what they wanted to do. So, okay. And, uh, I, and, and I, like, it wouldn't surprise me that in, in NFL overtime games where you get past two possessions for the other team, it's, there's probably math out there that says two possessions without any scores or after two possessions it being tied is the most statistically likely thing to happen. Because it probably is. Sure, and, and you know, I, I think analytics are are a valuable tool and you know maybe this is again maybe this comes back to the Lamar Jackson Josh Allen discussion where it's just it's Patrick Mahomes and that's that's the x factor here but uh I I don't know I mean I think I in that scenario I I want to play defense first because even if Me you too. Uh, mainly because I just think that uh, okay let's say you play defense first they score a touchdown crap they score a touchdown now we're down they're probably going to kick the extra point. Granted, they could be super aggressive and then go for two there, which honestly, if you get the ball first, you score a touchdown, you probably should go for two. <laughs> Granted, because like you're basically winning the game, and yeah, okay, and then you're forcing the other team. They got to score a touchdown anyways. Well, I, I don't know. There's probably some analytics there where maybe going for two there doesn't make sense. But uh, knowing what you need to do, if they score a touchdown, they're probably going to kick the extra point and make it a seven-point game. And then you know, okay, you got to score a touchdown. It goes back to that you get four downs. Like you're not going to be punting. Maybe like that's that's a that's an advantage I think. And then if you do score, then obviously you're going to go for two to go for the win because you don't want to give them the ball back with a chance to win the game. I mean, you're going to win the game right there. And I think that would, that would be my mindset. And I would assume that other teams would have that mindset as well because it's not like the college game. Uh, granted, maybe the college game will change. Well, I guess they've already changed the overtime rules there. Whereas getting the ball first, obviously you want to score a touchdown. But if you don't, you're just you're relying on your defense to get a stop to where you get the ball back and now it's sudden death and you're getting that extra possession sure like so, so i it's definitely both sides are defensible i just tend to think that playing defense first i think to me makes a lot more sense but yeah but again patrick yeah. mahomes on the other side maybe if they're maybe if it's not patrick mahomes then the analytics do play out better and it makes sense to get the ball first Another uh, kind of under discuss i think one of my takeaways from that game too is um, and yeah, hey, this is like I'm. This is something where I'm 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 confirming my own worldview here, but it's it's just another slam dunk to me. You ain't winning any Super Bowl by running the ball. It's not happening. You're just it's not going to happen. You got to throw. Only way you're winning a Super Bowl in this day and age. Oh yeah, because I mean the the Chiefs have been a pretty good running team this year, but Pacheco had a bad game. I mean he had the fumble. He had a couple okay plays, but yeah, it's all about throwing the ball and. And I was watching McCaffrey, and I was like, man, that's McCaffrey, man. He's, he's been in the league for a long time, and he's still got the juice. He's still a really good player. Um, they needed to throw it to him like 10 more times. <laughs> yeah. It was, they, it's, 
Like I remember, like when when they got down into the red zone, in in overtime, and they they kind of started to try to run the ball with McCaffrey. I even said, "Don't do it." And like to their credit, like they they tried to put the the you know the game on Purdy's shoulders and everything. But I getting under center and handing the ball off to someone is is just not going to win you anything of consequence in the NFL these days. Just not going to do well, it. it. The Ravens, the Ravens learned that. The Ravens have learned that. Like. At, Teams throughout the last twenty years have started to learn that, and I. Well, again, the Ravens are an interesting situation because they actually did throw it around a lot more this year, and they still couldn't get out of that rut. But they're still based off of more of like a run type team. But your your point is taken, uh, and and also I think anybody that knows anything about football, listening to this podcast, you guys know about football. Like everybody watching that game for the first half, knowing that it was so tight and San Fran was not separating. It was like, okay, like this is, this is kind of, you're leaving, you're letting Patrick Mahomes hang around. Like you have to bury him because San Fran was, was the better team for probably more than half of that game. They just couldn't score. San Francisco score points. has better players in Kansas city. Like kind of top to bottom. They, they do. I, that doesn't mean, I mean, Kansas city obviously has some dudes, Chris Jones, Trent McDuffie, Mahomes, Kelsey, Pacheco. Those, those guys are dudes. Um, San Francisco has more. San Francisco has like that. That's one of the more talented teams I've seen in the NFL in a while. And um, I, I guess one thing I will say about San Francisco, like I, I don't think their receivers are great though. Their receivers are fine. Ayuk and, and Debo Samuel are fine as a duo. Their best receiver is Christian McCaffrey. Well, another reason why San Fran was a, couldn't get it going is, is Debo Samuel didn't show up. And of course he Looked like he tweaked his hamstring at some point, but then kept playing. Fine. Like, the dude's just the dude always gets hurt, man. Like you can't rely. He's such a an electric, impactful player, but he did nothing in that game, and that that definitely hurt him. And and I guess is George Kittle was he like playing injured or something? Because he he was a non factor as well too. So um, like was, I'm at the point now. George yeah. Kittle is a he was a and like he's he could be like a great all around tight end and blocks well and all this stuff. In terms of being an offensive threat, he was a one or two year wonder. This is who he is. He's, he's not a threat offensively catching the ball. Yeah, It would seem like it. And by the way, it is worth acknowledging that freak Dre Greenlaw injury goes into the bad luck category for you. Yeah, like, that's BS. Was that's, one of their best linebackers. That's that's in the first awful. half. Yeah, that sucks. So how much impact did that have on the game? I mean, probably a lot. I mean, we, we're Oklahoma fans. We saw Ryan Reynolds, him not playing in a big game. That factored in. <laughs> so yeah, like I'm, I'm one of those. Like I do. I mean, Mahomes to me, like I to me, uh, it's it's Mahomes, Brady, and Manning at the top, and then there is a large drop off to the next person in terms of best quarterbacks of all time. In in, in my in my mind, um. You, you can't deny also with Mahomes, though, his in three of his Super Bowls. I mean, they've come back from double digits down in all of them. Um, a lot has to go right. Uh, so much lucky crap has to go right for that to happen. And honestly, that's exactly the same with with Brady, with pretty much all of Brady's Super Bowls, too. Uh, just it just breaks their way. And it just that's kind of just how it works with with the goats a lot of the time. And I that definitely happened in this game a lot. A lot had to go wrong. That was kind of 50-50 for, Sam, or for, for Kansas City to get back into that thing. And um, there you go. Winners write history. 
And, uh, you know, there's some people that listen to this show that might be a little bit older than us that may be thinking, all right, those three quarterbacks you mentioned, come on. I mean, Joe Montana's probably got to be up there, too. He, he deserves an argument as well. I know Joe Montana was one of the great quarterbacks. He got a lot of Super Bowls. And, I, you know, who knows? I think his numbers show he could probably kind of comparable to some of the new age. And even a guy like uh, same team, not as many Super Bowls, but uh, Steve Young. Steve Young's got a lot of really good numbers, too, for back in the area he played. Not going to say he's up there with the best, but uh, of the guys that, that played kind of in, like, the 90s and stuff and, like, before the new age where everyone passed so much, Steve Young's stats are actually really good, too. Just throwing that out there as well. Joe Montana deserves to be in there. I just wanted to mention Steve Young because I remember years ago I did a deep dive in old quarterback stats, and Steve Young stood out. I was like, wow, Steve Young had some good numbers. I didn't, didn't know how good he was. Other guys, though like Terry Bradshaw and uh, like Aikman and like eh, nah, not, not quite as uh, eye-popping. Elway too, by the way. Uh, all right, so lastly, uh, we've got a lot. I mean, that's what we do. We talk, we t- we talk a lot. Uh, OU basketball team is doing OU basketball stuff. They're, they, you know, they lost two games last week to two teams that are much better than them, Baylor and Kansas. Uh, probably should have won the Kansas game, but they faltered at the end. Uh, wasn't really competitive at all against Baylor. And they, I, I just don't they're – still, they're still probably – I don't know. I mean, I, I'd say today they still they're have at the a, point. technically a chance to make the tournament. They're at – they beat – they, they're still fine. They win one more game, and they're, they're in a good, they're they're good in? shape. Yeah, they like their point. The rest you know, of their they, schedule. I mean, they they have one or two more wins, maybe, but that I, that's about all I can see. The rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, if they went like they're they're going to be there's going to be two games that they're favored. They're going to be favored a slight favorite over Oklahoma State on the road, probably. Um, and then they'll be favored to beat Cincinnati at home. They win both of those games. They're in. Um, or you know, they can go. What? How many? They have five games left. They have five left, yes. And if they go, it, they could go one and four in that stretch, and if one of those wins against Houston, they're in. So, um, I don't know. The, the, the Baylor game, I don't think that them getting blown out in that game is, is one of the most predictable things that has ever happened in the history of <laughs> mankind. Um, the Kansas game was, was kind of a disappointment because they came out up by 11 in the first half. But as, as watching that game, it's obvious that they, they got out to that start just because they were hitting threes in the first half. Um, and as soon as that dried up in the second half, they had no answer whatsoever. This is, it's, I don't know. They 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 just are not great offensively. They have no low post game to speak of. Um, I think that's their biggest problem. Like I, Sam Godwin is not good. He is not a good player. He is he is atrocious offensively. Um, he just he cannot finish around the rim whatsoever. And uh, obviously with Hughley and Suarez being out against Kansas, too, they didn't have it. And Suarez has been their best player over the last month of the season. So him being out did not help at all. Um, they really needed Javian McCollum and Latrade Darthard to, um, to make a lot of threes in that game, which they did in the first half, but they couldn't really keep it going. Um, I don't know what has happened to Otega Owe. He, is, he was probably their best player in the non-conference. He was a guy who would get to the rim easily, was, was finishing at a, at a high clip. Um, he's been a complete disaster in Big 12 play. And um, I'm, I'm actually getting to the point, I know like everyone is sort of like, they're kind of like, they're proceeding like these, these comments with saying, well, they're better than last year, the last two years. And I'm, sorry, I'm at the point now, 
I don't know if that's the case. I, I think they're pretty much exactly the same as they were the last two years. Because people are going, they, they, they were better the first two years than a lot of people gave them credit for. Um, the Big 12 is not as good this year as it has been the last two years. There, there, there are more opportunities to win games in the, in the league this year than there had been. I, I, that's where I'm concerned. I don't think they're that much better than last season, actually, when looking at the totality of things. I think, I think they're very similar. So I, I, I try to like keep things in perspective because where were they picked to finish in the Big 12? Like super low, right? I mean, they were supposed to be like one of the worst like teams in the conference. 14th, I think. So based on expectation. The 12th? Yeah, like they're, they're better based on that. So like based on like they've certainly exceeded expectations. They make the NCAA tournament when they were expected to be the 12th best team in this conference. Okay. We, in theory, we should be happy with the result. But it's just, and I am. I mean, if they make the tournament, they haven't made the tournament since the freaking bubble year, since they were playing all the games in Indianapolis. And Austin Reeves was one of the best players on the court in that Gonzaga game, which then has actually <laughs> made sense as he's had a pretty good NBA career, which has been pretty interesting. So, yeah, like seeing them play in the tournament would be cool. And <laughs> the glass half full is like, hey, man, Porter Moser in the tournament. Just get him there. Maybe he can do some magic like he did at Loyola. But also then on the downside, I think like, man, it took you go back at Porter Moser's history at Loyola Chicago. I mean, he was there for like a decade. <laughs> and then finally, his last two or three years, I guess, when they made that the final four run and then the what the elite eight run. Maybe this guy does this guy just need 10 <laughs> 10 years out of school to get results i it's it's i don't know it's it's it's, it's what it is they're just not very exciting they just don't have any scores like the same thing like jvm mccollum was this great score or it looked like it could be and then conference play gets here and it's the same you know that that's our biggest fears right it's the same thing that happened to grant Sherfield last season he kind of just disappeared and couldn't score as much in big 12 play you mentioned oway oway hadn't scored in double digits in six games he's had six straight games with under double digits scoring after basically scoring in double digits most of the games this season so yeah they're just they're not a very exciting team they're good enough obviously to win some games but i mean yeah i guess i guess at this point it's like well if they play well great if they make the tournament great but you don't expect them to really go anywhere in the NCAA tournament but the fact that you make it, if you do make it, it's like, well, everyone's got life. Everyone has that thought of like, maybe this is the year that my team can get hot. And that's kind of what you hope for with Oklahoma. Can they make it and then get hot? Probably not. Yeah, and I think you're, you're still just kind of in the, yeah, if they can get in there and they're healthy, they can do some damage because, I mean, if they have a hot shooting night, they can beat anybody. Like, I mean, I, that's the, well, yeah, but they're, but they're not literally a great, every other college team. Yeah, but they're, they're not team. a great shooting team. They, they turn it over too much. Um, they they just they do not have any low post threat to score whatsoever, and uh, I, I, Jalen Moore. I think Jalen Moore is a really good player. I think he's he's they pre, they should pretty clearly design their offense around him. Um, he's he can get to the bucket. He's their best finisher around the rim, and also in the corner he can knock down that three every now and then too. Um, but also he you know he kind of gets in foul trouble pretty easily. Like you can you can if if you take the ball on him he'll foul you. And they just they, they need better low post guys. And I, it kind of seems like in Big 12 play, everybody in the Big 12 has had somebody that they can rely on to score in the low post. And OU is like the only team I've seen that just does not have that at all. No, they don't. I will say the last thing on this is 
the did you see the number the the number in the game before KU what the spread was before the tip off did you see the number like wasn't KU favored by like two and a half or something like that yeah it was two which was weird and then the way the game was playing out it was like okay well that was a trap and then Kansas ended up and then or I guess mainly Oklahoma kind of just at the end turned into OU and then it wasn't a trap but it was like okay like this is why this number was two like why is it only two uh and it's like oh i get it now OU's like up by a double digits and it's like oh man what a and then kansas uh does i mean even though this is not that great of a kansas team relative to what they have been they still played a lot better than OU at the at the end of the game worst kansas team i've seen and i i don't know how long i mean that's they're not good i mean they're like they're good but like relative to kansas they're just they're that team is not a threat to do anything in march at all all right, well, as the offseason moves along, we'll be thinking of different ways to make this show interesting and to continue providing solid content for all of you. Uh, on your end, you know, feel free to let us know on the West of Everest Facebook page if you have any sort of ideas for segments or you have questions for us. We're open to suggestions. I have a couple ideas in my head. We can talk about it off air for you know, upcoming shows, some things that can kind of get us through the offseason before spring ball, and we'll talk about that. But, uh, yeah, that's it for today. Any final thoughts? Nip high football rules. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. For Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.